Welcome to the Philosophy of Love podcast. In this episode, I speak with Vicki Larson, an award-winning journalist, author, writer, columnist, and editor. With Susan Pease Gadwa, she has co-written The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. This book gives people who are thinking about getting married new models for the marriage contract, depending on what they value from the relationship. For example, The New I Do discusses marital contracts based on companionship, parenting, living apart together, financial security, and non-monogamous relationships. For each marital model, the book gives the reader the advantages, disadvantages, suggestions for making that kind of marriage work, and signs that it's the right model for you. Vicky and I met at a cafe to talk about her book, and more broadly, the social expectations, rituals, and laws surrounding marriage, as well as care relationships. Here's our conversation. Um, I think just first off, I just want to ask you to describe where you think we are in marriage right now in society and how we got to where we are now. Um, well, we're in kind of an odd place for marriage. Every, a lot of conservatives are freaking out that people aren't getting married, but the, in truth, still people feel the pull to get married. They are delaying it, which is wise since we live so much longer. And also, um, many more women now are going to school, and if they marry young, they lose out on income, and a lot of, that's not necessarily the best thing in the world for women. Um, so, uh, people still are interested in marriage, at least in the United States, because that is the entree to a lot of legal perks and protections. I think Canada is different, but in the United States, um, that matters, and which is why same-sex, the fight for same-sex marriage was so important, because same-sex couples already had the love and the commitment. They just could not have access to those benefits. So it matters on that level. And it still has a bit of a cachet. I mean, people don't really know what to make of people who live together. They don't really quite understand that relationship, and they feel a lot more settled when, oh, there's a husband and a wife, or even a wife and a wife and a husband and a husband. It's just like we, we, we attach certain things to those roles. They're often gendered. They're often incorrect. But we still kind of attach, and we understand it. But I think... I think that um, I think there will we won't see as many people getting married. Uh, I, I, I think the institution is not quite as important as it used to be historically, and I think a lot of people are finding creative ways to raise families um, uh, or remain single and have rich, fulfilling lives that don't involve a ring on the finger. Yeah, so there are those two sides of it. Like, there's the symbolic side of it, the cachet, as you say, and then there's the legal, pragmatic side of it. Um, like, you guys were very diplomatic in the book, didn't want to, like, move in any direction, but do you have opinions about what we should do with the symbolism, given that there are all these gendered expectations, or what we should 
do with the pragmatic side of things? Those are really good questions. Yeah, I do, I do have opinions about that. Um, I am among the many people or the increasing number of people who feel that it's really wrong for governments to benefit people based on their romantic and sexual life. I believe that um, if anything, if any benefits or protections should happen to anyone, it, it should go to people during caregiving time, and all of us do caregiving. We may not have children, but we have elderly parents, or we have a disabled uh, sibling, or we have a loved one that we need to take time off. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. And what was the other part that you want? the symbolism that's going to be a hard one you know unless there's a real change in the romantic stories that we tell we still love the big party the big dress um, just look to see what happened when Prince Harry um, proposed to Meghan Markle to see how exciting that is for people. There's something about that friggin' wedding, which of course is not a marriage at all. It's just a party. But we it's just so much part of our story. And um, I, I, I think always it's going to really continue to have meaning and a context that it, it may take many generations to um, be rid of it if we ever can fully be rid of it. I mean, I found it kind of sad and funny that in the disadvantages section to each of the potential um, marriages, almost every single one was like, you might face judgment from other people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we still have a very specific idea. Yeah, and, and you know, and uh, honestly, the judgment and the shaming is the thing that bothers me the most, and it's the thing that actually really brought Susan and me together to, um, to, to you know, to, to write about the kind of writing that we were doing and then eventually collaborate on the book. We came from it from really different perspectives in that she didn't get married until the first for the first time until she was 40, and everyone was like, what's wrong with you? Whereas I got married and divorced twice, and everyone is like, what's wrong with you? So we both experienced the judgment and the shame, but from really different perspectives. And I, I am, it's so, like, it's like it's a moral failing if you don't follow some script. And I would really like to personally battle <laughs> judgment and shame so that um, people could just understand that they're free to create the kind of lifestyle that, that they want, that's, that's living their most authentic life. I don't know why you would want to judge and shame someone for being an authentic person. So do you think we should decouple love from marriage? Well, <sighs> interesting you bring that up. Um, when you look at love, love makes us do wonderful things for people, and we like to feel love, but love also can be full of rage and anger 
it can be full of violence. Look at all the domestic violence. This is love-based. And when you look at it that way, you kind of go, and it's very emotional, you know, it's, 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 it's love is, uh, is emotions. Um, when you look at it that way, you kind of go, is that the best way to raise children where you can be so furious or you can hit your partner because you're so jealous and so angry? And uh, clearly that's not everyone's experience, but there's a lot of conflict with love. We know that, you know. And uh, there are people now, I mean, actually they've been doing it for a while, same-sex couples who raise children with a co-parenting partner. These are not romantic partners. And there are now a lot of websites where you can do that. It's still mostly same-sex couples, but it's some heterosexual couples who are like, well, I want to have a child, but um, I don't want to do it by myself, and I'd like to have a co-parent. And they look for a good match, and they ask questions that most people who are falling in love and are going down the aisle to marry don't ask each other. Like, they really vet each other. And maybe that needs to happen, I think. I, I think that maybe we really need to come up with what I would call a, a, a parenting partnership where you actually talk about what you're going to do, how you're going to raise the kids, what about the discipline, and really think that through so it lessens some of the conflict. I don't think marrying without love is going to catch on, but I would say if... <laughs> <laughs> in a big way but I can see that if you have someone you really care about you're really great friends you want some of that coziness and you're going to have your sexual needs met outside the marriage because maybe you're not interested in um, you know a sexual relation with this person why would that be bad and do you think co-parenting is the best or the primary purpose to enter into a marriage or financial safety? Well, I mean, you know, kind of historically marriage, it was all about having family, having children. That's kind of, it's so like the government did not have to do it. Oh, you're going to have kids? Great. Oh, you're going to raise those kids and you're going to be financially responsible for it? That's great. It's like government is like, okay, I don't have to worry about that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of people now who don't want to have children, or let's say if I got married now, which I'm not, for the record, <laughs> um, I'm not having children, you know, I'm not having children now, but um, kind of that is what we've consider like what marriage is about. It's to have children, and um, I think that. It's not necessarily a bad arrangement. I don't think the nuclear family is the best way to raise children. It's very isolating, and a lot of bad things can happen in there. I'm much for like multi generational or an extended kinship, um, or what I would what alloparenting, where there's a number of people who look after your children. You all take care of each other, more like a village kind of thing, because um, the nuclear family is just not a really good model for children. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure for whoever the caregiver is. And a lot of people think that marriage is the best 
uh, venue for raising children. I think that if you're going to have children, you don't really need to be committed to your romantic partner or even in love with your romantic partner or even have it be a romantic partner. I think you need to be committed to co-parenting those children and you need to be committed to the children to give them what they need to um, thrive. One of the things you said about what happens, what changes from cohabitating to marriage is all of these um, gender expectations get imported into how you should each behave, at least for hetero relationships. Um, how can we avoid that? I guess, I mean, you would say by talking more about the roles that you each want? Well, so, I mean, I'm a believer, be big believer in, in having a contract. I think a lot of um, a relationship contract and where you do agree what's going to happen. Like if someone gets a job out of town or who, who, who decides what happens? Is it mutually decided upon? Um, who is going to, who, how are we going to handle things like childcare, house chores? How are we going to do that? Um, and, and, and write it down, agree to it, because if you, I think a lot of people go into it with assumptions. You know, there was a Harvard study a while ago where they connected with um, MBAs like X number of years after, the men and the women. And the men, without a doubt, overwhelmingly said that they always knew that their career was going to come first. The women thought they were going to have egalitarian marriages. See, and that's the difference. Thinking that you are and making sure that you're doing steps to do it. Now, part of this is still the problem of um, what happens when children come. It's a, it's a big game changer. And there still is a feeling that it's natural for women. It's not. But... To, to stay at home, to want to stay at home, to raise the kids. Um, and also, uh, which it's not, there's nothing natural about that, but um, we don't get paid as much as men, and that matters. Um, this whole discussion of the work-life balance and trying to juggle it, I mean, now you kind of hear men talk about that because more young men really want to spend more quality time at home, with, especially if they have young children, and they're getting pushback from companies. So it really, um, there's so much that you can do on a personal level, but there's structural societal things that are working against us, even things like um, um, family leave, paid family leave. And I say paid family because it shouldn't just be to raise children, uh, to, to, to care for children. It also should be for caregiving of an elderly parent or because maybe you're not married or maybe you don't have children, but you have caregiving needs that need to happen. All of us do at some point in our life. All of us. And it's not fair or right to just say, oh, just leave to for a, b a baby. It should be for any caregiving that needs to happen. But there's structural and societal things that are working against couples who really do want to bust free of the the gendered expectations and 
it takes brave souls to to forge their own way and, and and that's really basically what has to happen that they have to decide between the two of them and I think having a relationship contract or a marital contract that really t addresses that um, is important yeah the institutional and the structural issues are the big one to bring up and I think partly it's that we ve we devalue care work in general, so women's work, and um, and I I think that's really wrong. Caregiving is like just an essential part of society. It's it needs to be elevated, and it needs to be gender free. I mean, I in another book that I had hoped to write that um, is not going to go anywhere. Um, I I believe that. Um, we should have like mandatory caregiving. Like at age 18, you um, come into service to your to society. You are trained in caregiving, and then you are placed male and female. You can't get out of it, like you know. And um, and y then you're trained and you're monitored, and you put in your time in exchange for maybe free college uh, or healthcare or something like some perks. And then you, it's, you understand what it's like. And maybe you even decide that that is something that you really like, you know. Um, but, I, and, and that's, uh, and then this part of like the bigger, broader thing of like more like of an alloparenting or what I call caranting is that we create a society of caregivers. Caranting, we understand the value of caregiving. It matters, and it's not just a woman's thing, it's a man's thing. And I know that men say they do caregiving in a certain way by mm, going out to, mm, you know, make money for the family. And yes, that is, that is. But I'm talking about physical hands-on. And still, when parents get elderly, who are, the who are the people dropping out to care? It's the women, sometimes for even step-parents, sometimes for their Spouse's parents, and that's not fair, right? It's 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 it's. We need we need men and women to do this very essential part of, of society. It, it's 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 essential. That's a fucking great idea. <laughs> Mandatory care. Instead of mandatory military service, mandatory care service. That's <laughs> you got to do the care one. <laughs> that is definitely the way it should be going. And the fact that it would be trained and skilled too. I think that would be really important. You know, and, and, and monitored. I mean, you can't just. I mean, you can't. And some people might not really be able to do it because of whatever issues. But um, the majority of people can. But monitored, trained. Um, I just think that it would we have a we have a problem that's coming in this country and that there aren't enough people to do caregiving or what they call the silver tsunami because there's a lot of people like me they're boomers and we are aging and we're going to very soon have the largest um society of elderly people and how are we going to handle that at the same time, we have phenomenal childcare costs. It's phenomenal. 
which is why a lot of people step, you know, women, step back from the workplace because when they look at the costs, it's just like it's all going to childcare and it doesn't make sense. And that, there's something really wrong with that. There's really, that model is just, that's why I'm like, the making caregiving be a part of marriage is not working anymore. It worked when that was the model. It, and that is not what it's good for anymore. It's not really necessarily good for caregiving because it still is very, very gendered and it's creating a lot of stress and financial ruin for for families. Um, and we need we need uh, we need a, a, a different structure, a different structure to to address that and soon because it's 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 going to be a big problem. Well, how do you think we could? address this issue. I mean, I think, yeah, I think part of the problem is the way that we financially compensate certain kinds of work and don't financially compensate other kinds of work until we do, and then it leads to these financial issues. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I th it, 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 it will take um, like a rehaul of society, really. I think... Well, we're already doing it in bits and pieces, you know, little factions are all doing all of these different things to try and make it all work, but nothing else has caught up to the way that we're really living. Family law hasn't caught up to all the different ways we create family. Um, societal policies haven't caught up to the realities of how we're living now. It still is back in some you know, nostalgic day of, you know, the 50s or something. And we can't really afford to continue to be blind to the fact that society's changing. We're not going back to that. We're not going back to that. That was a little blip anyway in the way that um, uh, we lived. We were more multi-generational. We were, uh, you know, um, uh, we were not isolated nuclear families per se and so uh, we need some real outside of the box kind of thinking when it comes to setting up society for us today I think I just want to uh, close by asking you what the responses to the book have been whether people are really relieved and happy to get these different models or whether um, they're like, they think marriage should be reserved for this one model, or whether there's any pushback, like, it's best not to think about it too much, you might ruin it, or something like that. Um, you know, actually, a, a lot of the feedback we've gotten has been very positive. Um, we've heard from people who said, I really feel so validated in my choices, you know, because I did I did the rebel thing I chose to live other than what quote unquote I should be and it feels so good to have to know that one I'm not alone and two that um, that here is a book that's saying oh wow look here's a way to be this is a way that you could be so we've heard from people who said they felt validated and that is so rewarding. I can't tell you. It was something I hadn't even really considered in writing the book that um, people would just 
kind of say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging the fact that this is doable. Um, and then the other really feel-good part of it is that people, uh, we've heard from people who said that they liked that it was like an even-headed approach, that it is not, it's not a self-help book. I, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of self-help books. Um, so it's not telling people what they quote-unquote should do. Goodness knows we hear enough of what we should do from so-called experts or in articles and whatever. It's just saying, here's, here's some possibilities. And when we've heard from people who said, wow, I mean, I never really even thought about that, that felt good too. That feels really good because the whole idea is to get people to think about it, to just be very conscious about why it is that they want to get married and what, what do they hope to have happen in that marriage besides just having someone to call my husband my wife or something. I mean, it's more than that. It means more than that. It, sh um, it, it does things. So people should be aware of that. So when, when we've heard from people who said, yeah, wow, I, it's like I never even considered that. I didn't even know. That felt good because I felt like, okay, we're enlightening people to some things and validating other people. And that is so cool. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is really cool. In a paper I wrote with Jasper Heaton called Romantic Love, Injustice, and Mystique, we argue that our concept of romantic love mirrors our concept of marriage as a monogamous long-term coupling entered into for the sake of reproduction. Because our romantic love concept prizes a certain kind of relationship above others, and moreover, because a romantic relationship is deemed a crucial part of a meaningful life, our ideas about romantic love serve to justify the biased allocation of legal and social benefits to married people. I'm not sure how much a conceptual shift can help here, but one thing we can keep in mind is that love, even romantic love, is a care relationship, or occurs in the context of a care relationship. If we foreground the fact that love involves a care relationship, then we might more easily see both what Bell Hooks intended with her view that an abusive relationship is not a loving relationship, and also that other laws and social structures need to be in place to support non-romantic care relationships. If part of what is justifying the biased allocation of benefits is our overvaluing of romantic relationships, and of a certain kind of romantic relationship in particular, i.e. long-term, monogamous, nuclear, etc., then broadening what we consider romantic love and what kinds of love we value more generally is an important part of advocating for social and legal changes. <laughs>